Is there a prescription for thriving? And, and, and uh, uh, I want to take you to what I see as, as the greatest way to thrive on this earth. <clears throat> Not just to maintain ourselves, but to really thrive. And there's a prescription that's laid out in the Bible. It says, how blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. When everything else is drying up, the scriptures tell us we can prosper, but it is highly specific on what we must do to prosper in this way. And it says we need to delight in his law and meditate in it day and night. We need to love the word of God and meditate in it day and night. The scripture puts it in two ways, day and night meditation and, and uh, uh, all the day. Making the Word of God a part of our lives. What you saw is just our present medical work that we're translating this year into companies. That is only about 25% of the work that's going on in our laboratory presently. And so, so people say, how do, you, how do you work in all these areas? Look, I don't know. It's not me. I just tell you a prayer that I pray. It's from, from Exodus 31. Is that it says, God says of a man named Bezalel. Uh, um, M- Moses commissioned Bezalel to build a tabernacle. And it says, God says that I have called Bezalel by name, the son of Uri, the son of Hur. And I have given him the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge of all kinds of grass- craftsmanship. Then it lists out all his ability. He works in gold, in silver, and in bronze. Not just one of them, in all of them. Then he works in stone cutting, stone setting, wood, fabric, perfuming. The guy could work all over the place because he was filled first with the Spirit of God. You want to propel your career, first get filled with the Spirit of God. And, and it says we are then to take and delight ourselves in his word. It's very specific. Delight ourselves in the word of God. And there is the propelling of the career. This is not me. What you saw, I mean, these advances, this is just, God just leads us into these things. We just swerve into these things all the time. God does this. He is the one who opens the door. But it comes, it says, you make, the, you make this word of God your delight. I got saved over 40 years ago. For 40 years, I've been reading the scriptures from beginning to end. I start in Genesis chapter 1. I read through to Revelation 22. When I'm done, I start again. I've just been doing this for 40 years. I'm in no hurry. I'm not trying to get through the Bible in a year. I might spend in a week in just a paragraph. Just allow the Lord to speak to me. Allow the Lord to speak to you through the Scriptures and enjoy the Scriptures. He tells us again, Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Look how specific it is. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. I don't know exactly what the Lord has called you to, but he has a task for each one of us in life that's different than everybody else. But he gives us this prescription for thriving, not just existing, not just like being the about everybody like, like that's around us, but for act, actually thriving. We're going to be like trees that are planted. When everyone else is drying up, we can be like a tree planted by rivers of water. It says that I'll make you prosperous, I'll make you successful, which is far better than money. It's not about money at all. It's, it's about something much greater. 
in Psalm 119, verse 97 through 100. This, I probably meditated on this portion more than any other portion in the Bible, interestingly enough. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies or my meditation. The scriptures say he will give us more insight than all our teachers if we make his testimonies our meditation. It gets back to the word of God. Will we love the scriptures? Will we love the word of God and make it our daily meditation? Now, there may be a blessing for reading the scriptures three days a week and meditating on it. But there's no such promise. Maybe there's a blessing, maybe there isn't. The promise is for every day. That's what I'm talking about, specificity. The promise is for every day. It is daily my meditation. You'll have more insight than all your teachers. And it doesn't say than all your Bible teachers. This is teachers, period. Teachers. You figure out who you've learned from. I've had the great blessing of, of learning from, from many very famous chemists with whom I, I, I've been able to work. The scripture has made promises to me. If I make this word my meditation, this is what we're talking about. This is how we propel careers. This is how we stand out differently than other people, is we make this word of God our meditation. Let me just give you some examples from my own life of things that have happened from my own life so that you, you can understand what I'm talking about here. So I'm a scientist. I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a pastor. I'm not a farmer. If I were a farmer, he'd, he'd be blessing me in other ways. So how does he bless me? Well, here's an example. September 3rd, 1993, I was speaking right there at Purdue University. Now, this is the, the Purdue Memorial Union and Hotel. It's run by the students who are in restaurant and hotel management at Purdue. And I, was, and I had done my PhD at Purdue. And I was invited back to give a talk. I had just gotten tenure at another institution. I was invited back to give a talk. And, and the Lord started raising my faith that morning because I was praying, as I always do before I give a lecture, that God would really anoint and really pour out the Holy Spirit in that scientific lecture. And I prayed that the Lord would really bless in that. And as I was praying, then I started reading the scriptures where I'd left off the night before. This is what I read. Truly I say to you, if you... Have faith and do not doubt. You will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And I said, Lord, you're really raising my faith. I pray that this morning when I'm speaking in that seminar, that that you would make it the best seminar that's ever been given in that department. The best. Now, the department's over 100 years old. So I said, Lord, well, how am I going to know it's the best? I mean, who's going to say? I mean, if my wife were there, she'd say it was the best. But we, we, need, we need some objective analysis here. How am I going to know it's the best? I said, Lord, if it's the best, I pray that my mentor, the one with whom I've gotten my PhD, who is going to be in the audience, I pray that he would say that it was a super seminar, that he would say super. And here's, here he is. This is H. Nagishi. He won the Nobel Prize many years after that in, in the year 2010. And any time when I was a student and I worked for him and I brought him my results, he would say, pretty good for your level. I never got past the man's waist. It was always for your level. And I said, I pray that that man says that it was super, word that he didn't normally use. Well, when I got done with that seminar, he stood, he was sitting right in the front row, right on the end. He stood up and he said, super, super. I mean, God confirms his word. God does this type of thing. Then sitting right behind him, right behind him, in a chair that only this man sat in was H.C. Brown. He had won the Nobel Prize in 1979. 
And he was in his 80s at the time. And I went down and I shook his hand. And I said, thank you for coming to the seminar today. And he held on to my hand. He said, I want to tell you something. That was the best seminar I've ever seen in my life. And I said, that's very kind of you to say that, sir. He said, I'm not saying it to be kind. I really mean it. I mean, God confirms his word. God does this sort of thing. You want to propel your career, it gets back to the scriptures, and the scriptures are very specific. It is everyday meditation. There's no promise for three times a week, no promise for four times a week. The Bible says every day, every day. And I, and I can testify that in 40 years, I don't remember a day that I ever missed reading or, and, and meditating on the scriptures. I don't remember. I think there might have been a day that I had the flu, that I, I slept like all day. So maybe that day I didn't do it. But, but there's never been a day because I believe the scriptures. The scriptures have a testimony for us. Application of the scriptures in my career. One day I was upset with a colleague. He, he, I got hired and then a year later they, they hired another person. We each had our own tenure track positions. We were in the university and, and he was going toward, toward uh, one. It wasn't like we were competing for the same position. And he had come from Caltech and, and uh, he was a great chemist. And he came into my office and he put his elbow up on the, on, the, on the file cabinet. And I remember he looked down at me and said, I'll get tenure before you ever do. Now, that's an odd thing to say. That, for those of you who are not in the academic setting, that would be like walking up to somebody and saying, I am better looking than you are. Now, even if it were true, it's an ugly thing to say. So he said, I will get tenure before you ever do. Now, remember, I had been there a year longer. Well, God just put my career on this amazing trajectory. And I started getting all these grants and all these proposals. And I went from having a little metal student desk in a concrete floor to having a big desk with carpeting and a secretary in the front office. And, it, and he remained in his little student desk for several years. And remember, a student came in, an undergraduate came in, undergraduate, and she said, you know, I really like you. You've been really nice to us. But that guy across the hall, that professor, he's always saying bad things about you. And I, I got so upset, and I went across the hall to his office, and I knocked on the door, and I, I was really going to give it to him, and he wasn't in. And then God began to speak to me. I'd been memorizing this verse, this passage with my ch- children. I'd been memorizing all of Luke chapter 6. And this is the verse I was working on that day. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And I said, okay, Lord, I will do that. I will do that. I will pray for him every day. And I was teaching at the University of South Carolina at the time. And and uh, um, that's the chapel right there. And that's what it looks like. And I, I would go to the chapel every day, get on my knees and pray right there. And that's a habit that I had gotten in since the time I was an undergraduate student. And I keep that practice still today because I try to do this, this uh, just try to pray again at, at midday. Sometimes during midday, sometimes I shut my office door, sometimes I go to the chapel. But I would pray there and I would pray for his work, that God would bless his work. And God really started blessing his work. He got all this grant money, started getting more and more famous. We even within a year just took off his career. And he got so good that he got an offer from another university and he accepted the offer and left. And I was so happy. I mean... You know, God got a hold of my heart, dealt with my heart so that I could pray for this guy. And then he said, okay, that trial's done in your life. And he moved him on. And, and, uh, uh, 
And I saw God is able to keep His word. He is so true. We obey His word. And He just, He just blesses over and over again. The scriptures are our life. So, when, when somebody's getting their PhD, you know, they worked in my lab for four or five years, and then I, I get up and I talk a little bit about them, and then they stand up and they defend their PhD. They give a seminar to the entire department. It's an open seminar, and, and, and they give this, this lecture. And I say some things about them and to try to summarize their work from four or five years of instruction. Well, in Deuteronomy 32, Moses summarizes not four or five years, he summarizes 40 years of instruction, 40 years of instruction to the children of Israel. How would you summarize 10 PhDs worth of instruction? How would you summarize it? Well, this is how Moses summarized it. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today which you shall command to your sons, your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. What we are talking about here today is your life. Your life. We are talking about your life. The scriptures are our life. The Bible is our life. These words have been written by God. He says things in that word that when we're reading, you look at it and you go, this offends me. Good. You need to be offended. We need to be offended. Your taste is corrupt. He wrote what we do not like in order to conform us into the image of His Son. His ways are perfect. Every word in the Bible is good and true. It is for us. It is for our instruction. You want to propel your career. It is all around the Bible. It is all around taking this word and believing it. Moses summarizes 40 years of his instruction. He says, what I have given to you is life. This is your life. It's not an idle word for you. Maybe to someone in the world it's, it's an idle word. It doesn't mean much. But to us... Every word in the Bible is life to us and true. And the Bible should offend us. The Bible should cut us. Let the gospel have its work. Let the gospel do its work. The Bible should do that to us. To conform us into the image of Jesus. Jesus is so wonderful, so perfect. He lived a perfectly holy life before His Father. To teach us what it is to live before the Father. What it is... How we are supposed to live before God. Jesus perfectly imaged that to us. And He is the one, it says, that He, he is, sits at the right hand of His Father. The earth was too little for Him. All heaven and earth bow down. All of heaven to, to our Lord Jesus Christ. It is all about Him. Everything. He is perfect in every respect. We are to be like Him. Take this Word. Take the Word of God. Make it your daily meditation. Very specific. And it will propel your career. I want to put, give you some practical things that, that, that can help you a lot with, with, with your career. Learn how to use a pen. So, so young people today can text really quickly. Learn how to use a pen. So you write letters by hand and send them by mail.
Send thank you notes to colleagues and acquaintances in business. Sometimes I will... So every every Saturday, I sit down in the morning and I write about five or six letters. And I have stationery, so it has my name, uh, everything on it. And so I just scribble three lines and I write big so it kind of fills the card, that sort of thing. But I might be reading a paper that week and I look at it and I say, wow, that was really a good article. And I'll write a note to that author of that article saying, I was reading your, your article. It was just amazing. Wonderful work. I wish I'd have thought of that. And what happens? I send that to them and they instantly become my friend. This was so important early on in my career because my proposals, the proposals that I would write, go to colleagues around the community. And I was building a network of people that liked me. When I would meet people, you know, I'd meet them, they'd come to my office, I'd, I'd get their business card and I'd send them a note. Great meeting you this week. Thank you for stopping by or thank you for having me. I tell students, you write a letter to every time you go on a job interview, everyone you spoke to at that job interview, you get their card, you get their name and you write them a handwritten letter. They will never forget you. They say, wow, this person has class. Now, remember, most of the people who are in the controlling positions are like my age. And we really respect when somebody takes time to write a handwritten card. I mean, you get inundated with emails and spams and that's not the same. I travel all over the world now. People say, hey, come to my office. And up on their board is my card that I sent them six years ago. It's up on their board. It touched them so much. You want to build your career? It's all about people. It's networking with people. You would be surprised what one word spoken on your behalf can do in propelling your career. When I publish articles, this goes out to colleagues in the community that they have to make an assessment on that article. Well, you know, I've written them a letter. I mean, they remember me just because of that, that letter. I keep a record of all the letters. So, you know, this is just a simple thing. I keep, keep a spreadsheet of when I wrote to them, just a little thing of what I said. So I can go back over the years and I can see who I wrote to, what I, what the topic was, and I can, I can go back and I have, have just this spreadsheet. And I learned, the other thing is you've got to learn to make friends. Learn to make friends. Uh, be friendly. Uh, and, and, you know, I work hard at building relationships. Now, some people are just inherently friendly. They're just smiling all the time. Happy, happy, happy. That's not me. That's why I'm a professor. I can get away with being grumpy. People think, oh, he's a normal professor. I work hard at being friendly. To me, it's work. And, and, but I have to do it. You work hard to build relationships with influential people in your profession. And so, so early on in your profession, you, you don't get to go out and give talks. You do posters. You just get a post. And I would stand there and I, and somebody famous was going by and I'd say, Oh, Professor Perchick, come here. Let me show you something. And I'd grab him by his arm and I'd pull him over and I'd start as animated as I could. I'd be talking about this thing. And then I knew that I had them. When they stop looking at the poster that I'm describing to them and they look down at my name tag. When you work hard to meet people, I would go to, to sessions in, 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 in the scientific world, you go in, into professional meetings. I'd sit right in the front, right in front of the speaker. I wanted them to see my face. And afterward, I'd come, I'd thank you for that. And, and, you know, I wanted them to see my name. You work hard at this. This is important. You would be surprised what one word can do to open up a position for you. Work hard at this. 
You invite famous people for talks. Early on in my, I, I would invite famous people to speak at the university. So we each get to invite two people a year. I'd invite really famous people. And it's interesting because the people that I invited, a few years later, they were receiving Nobel Prizes. And so that shows you the level of the people that I was inviting. I would like to think it's because they invited me that they won the Nobel. But probably not. But this is the level of people that I was inviting. And they'd say, well, I'm very busy. I'd say, okay, how about next year? How about two years out we get you on this? They can't say no to that. And then you get them. And then I would have them have them into my home for meals. I'd invite key administrators for dinner. And I'd invite these key people because if you invite them into your home, they'll never forget you. You, you, you go visit an institution. You're always invited out to dinner. Every restaurant looks the same. Every hotel room's the same. But... I'd invite them in my home. I wanted them to see my wife. I wanted them to see my kids. Then they wouldn't forget me. And also, remember, these are the people who are going to be deciding and rating my grant proposal. If they see my little kids, they're not going to give me a bad evaluation and not fund me. You see what I mean? I wanted them to see my daughters, my two little girls at the time. And, and I wanted them to see this. And I'd invite key administrators. I invited the president over for dinner. And my colleagues were shocked. They said, why don't you start with like the department chair and then go up to the dean. I invited the president. He came over for dinner and he said, I've never been invited to a dinner like this. I've been invited to big parties, and be, but just to an evening like this. And he and his wife came and my, my daughters were giving him Starburst candies because they, they could only have one a day, but they were collecting the wrappers and he kept eating them. So they kept collecting wrappers. And he and I were friends after that day. Any meeting, any university thing, he'd see me in the audience, he'd give me a thumbs up. We became good friends because he was in my home. You open up what we have as believers. The home that we have speaks to unbelievers volumes. It's a treasure. Use that to build your career. I'd invite program managers, corporate leaders into my home for dinner. Uh, I'd befriend and show kindness to secretaries, custodians, maintenance workers. Secretaries can ruin your career. Oh man, they can. They have all these ways that they can make your life difficult. If you're nice to them, just speak words. So what I do is, is, is the janitors. Even my colleagues, Zach, every time you ask for something in your office, a light to be, they're there within minutes. It's because I, I, I know my, I know the custodian's name. I say, Maria, Tell me about your kids. I did prison ministry for 10 years and I learned this. If I could never get through to a man, I'd say, do you have children I can pray for? They'd be like, everybody wants you to pray for their children. So I'd say, Maria, tell me about your, your boys. What's, what's happening with them? And I'd say, send them to my office. You want them to come? Yeah, send them to my office. I want to give them some career advice. Maria will do anything for me. Anything in my office. I mean, she buys her own air freshener for carpets and spreads it on my carpet in my office. And, I mean, it's just, just amazing what maintenance workers, maintenance workers, I, I go and I just share with them. I see a guy plumber, you know, he's got his head under some sink and I talk to him. I say, hey, how are you doing? And, and then they become my friend. You befriend people like this, lots of things get done around you and for you. You walk in honesty and proper speech. We have an admonition to change our words and our actions in the scriptures. It says in Proverbs chapter 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. If you speak with kindness, you know, sometimes you know, I can be super intense and I'm walking into a meeting and I said, Lord, please just don't let me forget my kindness. Let me speak kindly and deal truthfully in everything. 
The words that I use are really important. And so what do I do? A lot of my life is going back and apologizing to people because I blow it all the time. But I apologize a lot. I go to them, look, I lost my temper yesterday. This was on me, totally my fault. I'm ashamed of what I did. Please forgive me. And they're like, sure, dude. You know, I mean, they've never had people repenting so much. But so a lot of my life I spend repenting. I told my wife, I feel like walking around with a sign that says, I'm sorry, because I know I'm going to offend somebody today. So I just say it right up front. Actions and words, particularly toward women that could be misconstrued. I remember I was talking with a patent lawyer on the phone and, and, and this was early on in my career and, and she, she said, she said that, um, you know, she was talking about the project we were working on. She said, I'm really good at this. I said, yeah, I'm really, sh- I'm sure you're good at everything you do. And total pause. And it got, it just came out in a totally wrong way. And I realized I have to be very careful what I say, particularly to women. So I will never say to a woman, you look terrific today. Because that woman's not my wife. I might say, those are, those, are good, those are nice shoes. I might comment on an article of her clothing or on her purse. I mean, women love, women love purses and shoes. I mean, my wife is like Melba Marcos. I mean, she's got like 30,000 pairs of shoes. They just love shoes. So I comment on that, but I won't comment on the woman. Because that's not my wife. I have to be really careful. Uh, the things that I do, you know, my, my office door always stays open. When a, when a woman comes in my office, the door stays open. My secretary knows if the woman shuts the door behind her, get up and open the door. And I usually meet her at the door. I'm opening the door. They can come in and cry about their grade in organic chemistry. They're going to cry in public. The door stays open with a woman. I'm not going to be in that office alone because the Bible says that we are to, to be free of even the appearance of evil. And what if that door is shut for 30 minutes? And then we both come out grinning. I mean, just think of just, just the optics of this. We have to be careful about that. Uh, so even, even software, I told my group early on, when I first started my career, I said, I only want on our computers, on our group computers, software that I own. And, and my first computer was a Mac SE. It was amazing. It had one megabyte of RAM. Amazing computer. And, and I was so proud of this computer. And I bought all the soft, I bought a Microsoft Word for it. And there was this computer program called ChemDraw so I could draw my molecular structures. Then we got another Mac computer. It was, it, the next year it was a Mac SE 30. It had 30 megabytes of RAM. I mean, computers were just rocketing in the, in the late 80s. And, um, I bought a whole nother set of software for that. Because I called up Microsoft and I called up ChemDraw. And back then they said, one computer, one set of software. That's it. You weren't allowed to load. Although computers didn't talk to each other in those days, you could have easily loaded it. And then I bought another computer for the lab the next year and I bought another. And my colleagues said, what are you doing? You're crazy. Why are you buying all this software? I said, because I called up Microsoft and they said, one computer, one. Now they give you, you know, three or whatever it is. But then it was one. He looked at me. He said, you're crazy. You're just crazy for doing that. Well, what would happen to me is at the end of the year, the program managers in Washington would say, they'd call me, hey, we have some extra money. Can you use it? I mean, God would just bless me. I was so blessed by the stinginess of Microsoft. God blessed me by honoring their, 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 their code. I don't have any, any software, any songs on my phone that I don't own. I mean, I don't want to do it. I don't want to jip anybody because God sees everything. He sees everything. 
You condemn yourself for you who judge, who, you who judge practice the same thing. You know, so I have to be really careful that if I'm gonna, you, you know, stand and arbitrate over, over people who, who are, are acting wickedly and, and, and doing things that they shouldn't do, that I don't want any software on my devices that I don't own. So if you have software on your devices that you don't own, I would advise you just delete it. Just, just do an uninstall. Uh, that takes care of it and go out and buy that thing. You say, well, it's a lot of money. Go out and buy that thing. God will reward you over and over again. The value of family. Admonition to value my family. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. I mean, this is what he says. And, and my wife and I have been married 37 years and it's only by the grace of God we've worked through this. Uh, train up the child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. The scriptures teach us this. So I had daily times with my family. We would, we would, I'd wake the kids up at 5.30 in the morning. We'd have family devotions from 5.30 to 6. I'd leave at 6 in the morning so I know what it is to work hard. I'd get home at 6 in the evening. My, we'd have dinner together and then I'd put the kids to bed, starting with the youngest, working my way up to the oldest. And then as they got older, they put me to bed. You know how that is. But, um... I had a disciplined schedule of work time and family time. And my colleagues asked me, how'd you do this? So this was one of my colleagues, Rick Smalley at Rice. He won a 1996 Nobel Prize. He had three wives, multiple children, multiple broken marriages. He, said three, he had actually four, four marriages by the time he died. And he used to say, Jim, how do you do this? How, how, do you, how do you have this wife who loves you so much and you love her and these kids? When the world sees this in us, what we have, the treasure that we have in a Christian family, man, it just, it just drops their jaw. Really, it's amazing to them. Uh, in, in 2007, I wrote this article in the Journal of Organic Chemistry because I had won some award and they asked me to write about some of my career. One of the things I wrote was this. I submitted 37 proposals in my first 36 months as a faculty member. And most of those were as a single principal investigator since collaborative proposals were less common in those days. And that was in the days when you, when you wrote a proposal, you had to make 14 copies of it and check every page to make sure nothing skipped and then put it in a box and mail it into Washington. I mean, it was a lot of work and had all these forms that go along with it. And, and uh, uh, so I know what it is to work hard, but I also wrote this. On the days of receiving the declination of funding letters from the NIH, sadness certainly followed. I would always call my wife, Shireen, because she was repeatedly there to reassure me of my self-worth. And my children were still there to call me daddy. Hence, I endeavored to dwell only momentarily on the harsh, sometimes even unnecessarily personal comments of the reviewers. My wife was there for me. She said, I, I know you're going to be successful. It's okay. God's going God's to see you through. What a family does in encouraging us in our career. Our family propels us. And my kids were there to call me daddy. And I just came back down to earth and was like, yeah, this is it. My kids are here. This is, and so family, what family does is so important. So this is my family. This is just uh, a few months ago, this picture was taken. My, my son-in-law was not here because he's overseas right now. So my, my, this is my daughter with her two, two daughters, so our grandchildren. This is my son, Josiah. He's, a, he's Lord willing, he's going to graduate from medical school in June. Uh, this is my wife of 37 years, Shireen. And, and um, I know what you guys are thinking because I think the same thing when I see pictures. Of, sometimes I, I think like, how did this guy 
end up with that pretty lady. And this that happens to me all the time. And, and so if you're thinking that, I think she thought I was rich, but I wasn't. <laughs> something, something caused her to marry me. This is my daughter, Sabrina. She's a, a lawyer here in town, general counsel of an office. This is my son, Ben. He's an investment banker with JP Morgan. So I come from a, uh, a, a, I'm a Messianic Jew. I come from a, a secular Jewish home and I got saved at the age of 18. People tell me that, that, that the, so my daughter is a, is a, uh, mediator between Palestinians and Israelis and she lives in Jerusalem since 2006 and uh, um, so I tell her she'll never be out of work uh, she'll always have work to do and and they tell me that they can see still see the Jewishness in me because I have a doctor a lawyer and a banker for children so. yeah <laughs> that's right you know, God, God blesses. This is, I'm, I'm so, you know, people say, you know, tell us about your career. I mean, here it is. It's my family that, that with my career, this is what God has done. This is all the Lord. This is all the Lord. My wife and I have been to counseling. I mean, anytime I felt we needed to tune up, I said, let's go to counseling. And she would say, okay. But I initiated it. As the father, I initiated this. And she would, she'd say, okay. If you think you need it, we'll go. <laughs> and and uh, and we just get a tune-up. And I tell tell the counselor, look, look, whatever you tell me, I will do. And they were shocked. They said, with that sort of attitude, you'll be fixed in no time. And that's usually the case. Within like four sessions, they would say, we're done. We're done. You you don't need it anymore. And then, I mean, God blessed us. So attaining peace. You want peace? Philippians four nine says, the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. That's Paul writing. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You practice what you have heard today and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes through practice. Peace comes through practice. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you, the scriptures say. He leaves us with some admonitions. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. You want to know how to propel your careers? It starts with this. This is the work of God. You first of all, believe in Him whom He has sent. That is Jesus, the wonderful one, the Son of God, the one who modeled the Father for us, the one who gave Himself for us, who rose from the dead, who lives forever from on high and makes intercession on our behalf and shall receive us and take us to the Father. That is the one we are to believe upon Him. It all starts with Jesus. Glory be to His precious name. I can't say that enough, how precious the name of Jesus is. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. This was the work that Jesus was about. He said, I'm here to do the work of my Father. Do the will of Him who sent me. You want to propel your career? You do the will of Him who sent you. Your career will be propelled. Do the work of Him who sent you. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you've given me to do. How did Jesus glorify the Father? He spells it out. He says, I glorified the Father by accomplishing the work that you've given me to do. Lord, what is the work that you have for me? And let me do it so that through that I bring you glory. When we accomplish the work that he has given us to do, we glorify God on earth. That's what Jesus said. This is near the end of his life. He says, I glorified you on on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. He calls us. He appeals to us. 
But in the end, it's a command. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. It's a commandment. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. God extends his call. And if you're not a believer here, this, this might be the last time you're going to hear this. I mean, there's a, there's a scripture verse that says, He's given unto idols, let him alone. Maybe the decree's already gone out. Or maybe the even more harsh one. Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live, the scriptures say. This could be your last call. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. This is the, this is the call of the gospel. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the crux of Christianity. This is what it's all about. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's an interesting thing, this thing of the resurrection. You know, there's more documentation on the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other historical event from that era. So if you want to investigate, you can. But you don't even have to. Because I share with people every week about the gospel. Every week I see somebody come to the Lord. And because of the area in which I work, I almost always am sharing with a highly educated person either an undergraduate student or a medical school student or professors. I mean, this is, this is, or graduate students. And every week I see somebody come to the Lord. And I talk with them about the resurrection. And I tell them this, you can investigate the resurrection. Jesus rose physically from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. In the end of Luke, it says he appeared to them. They thought they were seeing a spirit and he put that to rest. He says, see, I have flesh and bones. Come and touch me. You got something here to eat? He ate in front of them. He says, spirits don't eat. He told Thomas, come and stick your finger in the hole in my hand. Stick your hand in the hole in my side. He wanted them to see that he was flesh risen from the dead. And the only way that I can explain it that God is able to bring a person to the Lord who's educated. This is not an uneducated person I'm speaking to. Educated. Every week is that He has placed the truth of the resurrection on the heart of every man and woman. The truth of His resurrection must be there. You could never convince somebody of a resurrection from the dead if you were just going ab initio with nothing being there. Jesus has spoken this the Word of God has done this, and this has been placed on the heart. And then, boom, they say, okay. They said, are you ready to pray and receive Him and believe in the physical resurrection? Yes. I'm always shocked by this, but it happens. I was sitting at the table not long ago with two physics professors. One said to me, we were having dinner together. One said to me, I read on your website that you're a Christian. I said, yeah, I am. Are you? She said, no. And then I looked at the, the, this, this other physics professor who was chair of the department at the university that I was speaking at. I said, are you, you a Christian? He said, no. I said, do you mind if I tell you my story? 20 minutes later, both of them were praying this very prayer. 20 minutes later. How do you explain that? Only by the truth that God has put the truth of His resurrection in the heart of every person. And this is the touchstone of Christianity. That we have to confess Jesus is Lord and believe that He's risen from the dead. He's put that on the heart of each person. And that's the message we have to preach. Let's pray. Abba Father, 
I thank you so much for your word, the truth of it. And Father, I pray for these fine people who have come to hear about propelling their career. I pray that number one, they would take from this the need to meditate on the word of God and make that their daily meditation and then come under the blessing that's going to be to make them like trees planted by streams of water which yield fruit in their season. Father, I pray that they would learn to attain peace through the practice of these things. And Father, for those going through family struggles as they start to meditate on the scriptures every day and teach the scriptures to their families, Father, I pray that you would make it so that they would be able to say, indeed, the Lord has brought peace into my home. Father, for those who already have destroyed pasts, Father, I pray that you would renew that which the worm has eaten, as the scriptures say. Father, bring renewal, I pray, as they start coming under the umbrella of walking under the blessing of meditating on the scriptures every day, that they would slowly read pensively, saying, Lord, speak to me through the scriptures. Speak to me. And Lord, I pray for those here who do not know you. Oh, Lord, let this word testify to their hearts that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and indeed he is Lord of all. And this day they would pray with me, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me and come into my life, I pray. For the glory of Jesus and in his name, amen.